say uh, welcome to those of you in the room with us as well as uh, our online church family joining us via live stream. However, you're joining us uh, this morning. Glad that you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet uh, yet, my name is Chris and I get to be one of your pastors here. Uh, today, I'm excited for a couple of different reasons, but one of the reasons I'm excited is we are launching into a brand new uh, mini message series. And so, uh, one of the things that we've discovered about our preaching calendar is there typically a couple times during the year where we have like a one or two or three week gap between larger uh, sermon series. And so what we want to start doing as we move forward is strategically filling those gaps with a series called Basics, where we kind of just examine the foundational uh, fundamental tenets of the Christian faith and what we believe here at New Life as a community of faith, of folks that are trying to follow after Jesus in the uh, modern world. So next week we're going to be looking at uh, God as Father and kind of how that whole idea is uh, foundational to our understanding of who God is and how we follow him. And so Pastor Allen, our student pastor, is going to be bringing the word uh, next week. So we're really looking forward to that. And then uh, today we're going to be talking about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, one that I think is massively important in the Christian faith, and that is the subject of baptism, the subject of baptism. One of the beautiful things I think about our particular faith family here at New Life Community Church is that we are a people comprised of almost every conceivable, imaginable uh, spiritual background, tradition, denomination, you name it. Man, we got more Catholics here than you can shake a stick at. I'm not sure where all y'all Catholics are coming from, but you keep on coming. In fact, I thought about wearing a collar this morning and introducing myself as Father Chris just to make you guys feel comfortable. Man, but we got Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists. We've had Buddhists show up here. Uh, no small number of, of New Agers, people coming out of the New Age movement. We've had uh, folks coming out of cult. I mean, you name it, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to find it at New Life under this roof at 9.15 or 11 a.m. Now, as much as I love that, I think it's awesome, uh, this spiritual diversity can also lead to a lot of questions about different things and what we believe and what we practice here at New Life. Things like, for instance, baptism. And since it's been a few years since I spent an entire message on the subject of baptism, I figured it was time for us maybe to uh, wade back into those waters together, all right? So here's what I want us to do in our time together this morning. I want us to unpack what baptism is, what baptism is not, and then discover the who, when, and how of baptism. So who should be baptized, when they should be baptized, and how they should be baptized by looking at three distinct things, the life of Jesus, the commands of Jesus to his disciples, and the practice of the early church in the New Testament, specifically in the book of um, Acts. Now, Here's the big idea of the whole message. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. It's going to be on the screen. Here it is. Baptism is a really big deal. Baptism is a really big deal. It was a big deal to Jesus, big deal to his disciples in the first century, and I think it needs to be a big deal to us as his modern-day disciples in 2023. But before we dive in, uh, let's pause and let's ask for the Father's help as we open his word. God, we come to you. And we are uh, grateful, Father, that you have given us uh, your word to guide and direct our lives and our practice, uh, both in the church and outside the church. Thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans 
just to sort of wade through life and try to figure things out blindly. God, you've given us your word to guide us. More than that, you've given us uh, your Holy Spirit to indwell those of us who know your son Jesus to guide us and direct us. And so Holy Spirit, I invite you now to be in this place, to be in this space, to speak to our hearts in a new and a fresh way so that we might better follow your son Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name that we ask and we pray all things. Amen. Now, let me give you a quick church history lesson and then we'll dive in. Uh, three dominant views, historically, three dominant views on baptism uh, in the church world. View number one is called baptismal regeneration. Baptismal regeneration. So this view would be held by uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of Christ, a couple others. Many of you came out of those traditions. And, and basically what baptismal regeneration teaches is that baptism saves you like it is a core key part of your salvation without it you cannot be saved and so they would teach that a person when a person is baptized the language they would use is that they are infused with the grace of regeneration or new life at the point that they are baptized right so that's that's the whole idea of baptismal regeneration. I, I believe that's an incorrect uh, view, but it is a view, a dominant view. Now, the second dominant view in church history is known as paedo-baptism. Paedo comes from the Greek word for infant. Um, so uh, all of our Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian friends would hold to this view. Oftentimes in this uh, tradition, babies are, are sprinkled instead of dunked. I mean, I guess that would be kind of hard to, to dunk a baby, right? You might get DSS called on you or something like that. So babies are, are, are sprinkled. And, and what our pedo-baptist friends would say is that, no, baptism doesn't save you, but it's actually a covenantal sign of God's people in the New Testament, just as circumcision was the covenantal sign of God's people in the Old Testament. So baptism, in their view, replaces circ circumcision as a sign of God's covenant uh, people in the scriptures. Now, the first view, in my mind, is is heretical. It's heresy, right? Scripture clearly teaches we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, not by our works so that no one may boast. That's Ephesians chapter 2, right? And while I'm a little more sympathetic to the second view, I'm still convinced that pedo-baptism falls short and misses the mark of the teachings of Jesus and the witness of Scripture. For instance, uh, and this is, was a compelling uh, argument for me, there are zero instances in either the Old Testament or the New Testament of babies being baptized. I think that's pretty conclusive, right? I think that, that really settles it in my, in my mind. Now listen, I have uh, Presbyterian friends in particular that hold to this view, uh, good, godly brothers and sisters in the Lord who I love and respect dearly. And listen, when we, when we get to heaven one day and Jesus tells them that I was right and they were wrong, I, I will humbly and graciously accept their apologies, right? Single file line. Yes, I forgive you. I know you were wrong. That's okay. Uh, Jesus loves us and we're in heaven now. You don't need to cry. Stop crying. It's all, it's all good. So listen, <laughs> baptismal regeneration, view number one, that's whack, all right? It's, it's just unbiblical. Pedo-baptism, kind of get it, still misses the mark of scripture, which leads us with a third view, which I subscribe to and our church uh, here at New Life holds to, and that is what we call believer's Baptism, Believer's baptism. Now, let me give you a definition of believer's baptism. This will be on the screens for you. This is my definition, so, so it's a real good one. All right, baptism, the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a sign, symbol, and declaration. 
identifying the person with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, signifying new life in him, right? Now let's break that down just for a moment, and then I want us to answer the who, the when, and the how of baptism. Who should be baptized? When should they be baptized? How should they be baptized? If you have a Bible, head for Matthew's Gospel. That's where we're going to start. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 13, but before we get there, by the time we get to this particular point in the narrative, Jesus has lived the first 30 or so years of his life on earth in relative uh, obscurity. And now, finally, the time has come for him to launch out in his earthly ministry. And so the question, at least, that kind of rolls in my mind, if I didn't already know the answer to the question is, man, how is Jesus going to launch the most spectacular earthly ministry this world has ever seen? How is he going to inaugurate the most incredible rescue mission in human history? Like, is he, is he just going to preach a, a bedazzling sermon? Is he going to have a book signing? Is he going to heal a few folks, cast out a couple of demons? Like, how is he going to launch into his earthly ministry? Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. This is Matthew, one of his disciples, writing. He says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so here, here's the scene. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's preaching that the Messiah is coming, that people should repent or turn from their sin. Huge crowds are coming. They're gathering together to hear this charismatic preacher dressed in camel hair and eating wild locusts, and he's preaching by the river. And so tons of people are being baptized by John as they turn from their sin, and they begin to look for the Messiah that, G that John is preaching about. All of a sudden, one day, Jesus shows up. Right? And so John the Baptist is there, he's preaching about Jesus, and he's baptizing people, and you kind of picture Jesus kind of cutting through the crowd, and finally he gets up to John, and John sees Jesus, and he says, like, no chance. Don't you, do, do not come into these waters. Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God come to ransom the world. Like, there's no chance that I'm gonna, like, I need you to baptize me. And Jesus is like, listen, JB, you're going to do this. This is, part, this is part of the plan that I came to fulfill. So then John submits, right, to the authority of Jesus, and he baptizes him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, we get this incredible picture of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, resting on Jesus. And then we hear an audible voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is a huge moment in human history. And I would argue, like, probably one of the clearest pictures of the Trinitarian nature of our God, right? You have Jesus, God the Son, being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and the voice of God the Father speaking, saying, man, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Huge moment in human history. Don't, don't just glaze past that. This is Jesus. God wrapped in humanity, being baptized. Listen, not because he needed to be. Remember, he was sinless but as a symbol of his impending death, 
burial, and resurrection. And also as a model to all of us who would one day follow after him and call ourselves his disciples. So I want to give you four quick truths, four things about baptism. And then I want to finish our time by answering some common questions uh, surrounding baptism that we get here um, on a frequent basis that hopefully will be helpful to you and give you some clarity about this important subject as a follower of Jesus. So baptism, number one on the screens for you. Baptism is a symbol that identifies you with Jesus. It is a symbol that identifies you with Jesus, right? It identifies you with his life, death, burial, and resurrection. As we are buried, as we are plunged under the baptismal water, symbolizing our own death and our own sin, but then rising up out of the baptismal waters, representing our resurrection and new life in Jesus. Like you see the gospel imagery in baptism. It's absolutely stunning when you think about it. Every time a new believer is baptized, man, it is, it is a proclamation. It is a sermon in motion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. I, uh, one of the examples that I, that I like to use to, to really drive home this whole point of uh, our baptisms being a symbol of the gospel is, is my wedding ring. So Cheryl, my wife and I, we got married in, uh, in December of 2003. So we are coming up on our, our 20 year anniversary. And I know that's shocking to you, cause, but we got married when we were 13. So that's why we look so young. And, and um, one of the things that we did, we, we exchanged vows, but we, we, also, we also exchanged wedding rings, right? And I always tell people when they come to me and I set up a meeting, want to talk about baptism, I always kind of use this example. Like this, this wedding ring on my, on my left finger is not my marriage to Cheryl, is it, right? There's nothing legally binding about this ring as it relates to my marriage to Cheryl. This ultimately is a symbol that says to the world, I belong to Cheryl. Like, I'm her husband, and for what I paid for the rock that's on her finger, it better communicate to the rest of the world that she belongs to me, that she is my wife. It is a symbol of something deeper and very, very intimate and important. Now, what I want to say to you is just the same way that this wedding ring is symbolic of my love, my commitment, my allegiance to my wife, Cheryl. That's what baptism is for the follower of Jesus. It's a symbol to the world that you now belong and serve King Jesus from now until you see him face to face in eternity. It's a huge deal. I love the way author and pastor Max Lucado uh, puts it. This will be on the screens for you. He writes this. The human mind explaining baptism is like a harmonica interpreting Beethoven. The music is too majestic for the instrument. No scholar or saint can fully appreciate what this moment means in heaven. Baptism is like a precious jewel set apart by itself. It is nice and appealing, but has nothing within it to compel. To compel, But place baptism against the backdrop of our sin and turn on the light of the cross and the jewel explodes with significance. Baptism at once reveals the beauty of the cross and the darkness of sin. As a stone has many facets, baptism has many sides. Cleansing, burial, resurrection, the death of the old, and the birth of the new. Listen, y'all, baptism is a huge step in your spiritual journey. It's a really big deal. It's a symbol that identifies you with your Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen, 
That reason alone, I think, ought to be enough for every Christian to follow Jesus in believer's baptism, but that's not the only reason. Here's, here's the second reason. Baptism, number two on the screens for you, is a sign of your commitment to Jesus. So not only is it a symbol, it's also a sign of your commitment to Jesus. Go over, flip over to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, we're gonna jump in at verse 37 in just a minute, but before we get there, let me just kind of set the scene for you. Jesus has, has been crucified. He's been, been raised three days later, right? He resurrects, he walks out of that tomb just like he said he would. He's just spent 40 days teaching and preaching to his disciples. He has now ascended back to the right hand of the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit down on the day of Pentecost and all these signs and wonders are happening. Like the people are speaking in tongues, right? And these other known languages and the people from those nations are hearing them and they're like, oh my gosh, what? this is crazy. What is happening? Like everybody's confused because of all these signs and wonders. And then Peter being kind of the ringleader of the disciples, he gets up and he preaches the very first Christian sermon, right? Now, you can find that in Acts chapter 2. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just kind of summarize it for, for you. Peter says to this whole crowd, thousands of people, hey, listen, this Jesus that you crucified, he actually is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the prophets wrote about all those years before. He's the one that we've been praying for. He was the one promised in the ashes of the fall in Genesis 3.15. You guys nailed him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead and he is now ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he is Lord and King of all. And I want you to hear their response to hearing this good news, this gospel message proclaimed for the very first time. Acts 2 verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there, they, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter gets up. He preaches the gospel. He says, hey, listen, guys. You're all sinners. You crucified and killed the Lord Jesus Christ, but God raised him from the dead, and he is now king and ruler of all. And they hear that, and they're like, oh, crap, what do we do? And Peter's like, easy, two things. Repent, that's just a churchy word that means turn from your sin. So, so stop being the captain of your own ship. Stop being the master of your own life. Get, get off the throne of your heart that really only belongs to Jesus. I mean, repent, that's turning from your sin. And then, secondly, he says, as a sign of your commitment to Jesus, I want you to be baptized. And here's an example that came to my mind. I, I love college uh, sports in general, college football especially. And um, co College athletes coming out of high school, those who are being recruited heavily by big universities, and I, I would like to say, you know, from my own personal experience as a college athlete when I came out and, you know, it was Alabama and Duke coming after me hard, like, that wasn't my experience. My playing career ended in high school, um, but my wife was a collegiate athlete, and she was recruited by multiple schools, 
Um, so so here's, the th- here's the deal. You're recruited by all these schools, and they kind of roll out their red carpet and try to impress you when you go on your recruiting visits and all those sorts of things. But finally, there's a deadline. There's a day where you have to make your decision of what school you're going to attend, right? What team you're going to play for. And on that day, you sign what is called a national letter of intent, an NLI, a national letter of intent, with the school that you choose, and it is a binding document. And that piece of paper is a sign of your commitment to that team, that program, that school, that head coach, right? Now listen, baptism is our spiritual national letter of intent, right? It is a sign of our commitment to team Jesus. Though we are recruited in the span of our lives by all kinds of teams, materialism, secularism, self-focus, narcissism, being your own God, every other false religion in the world, we choose out of all those teams recruiting us in the world, we choose team Jesus. And our baptism is a sign of that commitment. Now what, what do signs do by their nature? They point to something beyond themselves, right? So one of the things my family and I like to do a couple times a year, at least once in the fall, is we like to go to the, the Biltmore Estate or the Biltmore Gardens, right? Have you guys been there? It's a really beautiful place just right down the road. And um, So we, if, you, if you've ever been there, you know, you turn on to the main drive and there are like a thousand signs, right? Because it's like a two or three mile drive to the house. A thousand signs pointing you to the Biltmore House. Now, are those signs the Biltmore House? No, but they're, they're pointing you to the Biltmore House or the Biltmore Estate. Our baptism is a sign that points others to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that they can also experience the freedom and forgiveness that we've experienced in our lives. So it's a, it's a sign of our commitment to Jesus. It matters. It's really important. And then number three, baptism is, on the screens, a powerful proclamation. Everybody say proclamation. Proclamation. Good job. Powerful proclamation of your allegiance to Jesus. It's a powerful proclamation to your allegiance to Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter eight, some of you may be familiar with the story. There's a really neat uh, narrative where this Ethiopian royal official is traveling in his royal court and his chariot, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. If you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, you know there are a lot of Old Testament uh, messianic prophecies there where it's pointing to the coming Messiah. And so this dude is reading Isaiah, and Philip, this uh, follower of Jesus, overhears, and he sees this guy reading uh, the, the book of Isaiah. And so he goes up to him, and he's like, hey, man, what are you reading? And I'm guessing he already knew what he was reading, probably overheard him. And uh, this guy starts asking Philip questions about Jesus, about the gospel, about like, well, what does all this mean? And Philip shares the good news. He ties the Old Testament story in to the coming of the Messiah and tells the story of Jesus and how he came and lived the perfect life and died for our sin and rose again. And anybody who follows him can find new life, forgiveness, freedom, hope in him. And the Holy Spirit opens this Ethiopian dude's eyes and his heart and he believes and he places his faith in Jesus. It's an awesome story. Now, I want you to watch what happens next, starting in verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch, that's this Ethiopian royal dude, said, Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized right now? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. So here's what I want you to see here. This Ethiopian royal official 
like right on a busy thoroughway. So like just think in our context, maybe Highway 26, right? It is, Highway 26 runs right by the French Broad, right? Undoubtedly, this guy would have been traveling with other royal officials in his chariot, right? And he, tons of people around more than likely, and he wanted to make a public proclamation of his allegiance to Jesus, right in the open for everybody to see. Now, I also want you to notice how he was baptized, right? Philip doesn't say, hey, man, you, you stay in your chariot. Let me get a cup and, and run down to the river. Bring it up so I, can, so I can sprinkle you a little bit of water on your forehead, man. Now, our boy went down into the water. He was dunked. Our boy got wet, and he didn't wait. He did it. He got baptized immediately. Just like the 3,000 people who heard pre Peter preach, responded to the gospel, they didn't wait. They got baptized immediately. There's no like, hey, let's take a, let's take a three-month baptism course at our church and make sure you understand all the nuances of the faith before we get you wet. No, it was, I believe I'm baptized. I believe I'm baptized. That is the pattern in scripture every single time. Belief, baptism. Belief, baptism. Belief, baptism. It's never reversed. Like, hey, we're gonna baptize you and trust that one day when you get old enough to respond, th then you're gonna believe. It's always belief, Baptism, that is the biblical model. Here's the fourth uh, truth about baptism, and then we're gonna answer some common questions that we get oftentimes. Baptism, number four, and this one begins to step on folks' uh, toes sometimes, but it's true. Baptism is a step of obedience to King Jesus. Let me just, I'm just gonna say it. This is, this, if, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, th this is a matter of Obedience. This is not a secondary matter. It's just like, ah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll shelf this. Maybe I'll get around to it when it's convenient. Maybe, maybe, maybe I actually will never do it. Now, this is a matter of obedience to your king, to your Lord and Savior. I want you to look at the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 28 on the screens for you. Jesus says this. Jesus came near to them, that's his disciples, and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority, that means if you're, a, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has permission to tell you what to do in your life. He says, I have all authority on heaven and on earth. In other words, if we say we follow him, then, then our life should reflect the lives of obedience to his command. Jesus came near, said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and then do what? baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So he's like, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to go and tell people the gospel, and as soon as they believe as part of their discipleship, I want you to baptize them. So you see this pattern again, belief, baptism, belief, baptism, belief, baptism. Now listen, y'all, I hope that you're starting to see this. This is a command from King Jesus, not a feel-good suggestion from the tooth fairy. This is actually, this should hold some weight as you think about this, as you consider this matter as a follower of Christ. Baptism, in Jesus' mind, always follows belief. So when I hear a well-meaning person who claims to follow Jesus, as I do from time to time, say something like, well, Chris, I, man, I'm saved, like, but, I, but I'm not gonna get baptized. Like, I have my personal relationship with God, but I just don't feel like it's really necessary for salvation. And I don't, I'm, just not, I'm just not gonna do it. My mind tends to go to places like Luke chapter six where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 
Why, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and then not follow simple steps of obedience? Like something is just not, something's not clicking, something's not jiving. Like there should be a, like maybe a red flag going off in your heart and your spirit if you claim to follow Jesus. And then you can read very clear commands in scripture and you're just like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Like that's a problem. We should sit down and have a conversation about that. And in my experience, it's usually over something really goofy, like uh, I'm just embarrassed. Like I'm an introvert being in front of a lot of people, like my face might get red or something really goofy, like I don't wanna get wet in front of a bunch of people, might, might mess up my hairdo, might wash off my makeup, might show my jelly rolls a little bit when I get wet and I'm just like, man, bro, listen, we already see your jelly rolls, just obey Jesus. Look, we're around, we're around the holidays right now. We're, we're all eating well, all right? We'll hit the gym in January. No, nobody cares. Man, I promise you, when you're being baptized, nobody's looking at your hair. Nobody's looking at your makeup. They're gonna be watching the joy on your face and celebrating that you belong to Jesus and that you're a part of his family. That's it. So don't let some silly reason like vanity keep you from taking one of the biggest steps of obedience in the Christian life. That would just be foolish. Don't rob yourself of that blessing. And don't rob us as a faith family of celebrating that blessing with you. So let's recap. Baptism, number one, it's a symbol that identifies you with Jesus. Number two, it's a sign of your commitment to the Lord Jesus. Number three, it's a proclamation of your allegiance to Jesus. And that, number four, and maybe most importantly, it is a step of obedience that honors your Lord and Savior. Now what I wanna do for the next few minutes is just finish with some rapid fire, common questions and answers that we get, all right? And then we'll, we'll kind of move on. Number one, question number one, who should be baptized by immersion? Answer, every person who turns from their sin and places their faith in Jesus, right? So if you would say, I have turned from my sin, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, you should be, if you haven't already, be baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the example in Scripture. Point, the end of the story. That's, that's the example. No exceptions. Question number two. When should someone be baptized? Answer, immediately right there, there's there, there, there's this whole thing that's gotten common in church like we're going to take you through a, a catechism or we're, we're going to take you through a confirmation period you're going to have a, we're going to have a six-week course on back that's not scriptural it's not biblical every time in the new testament it's like they get saved you get baptized right immediately if not that day then very soon after so when should someone be baptized asap question number three how should someone be baptized? Answer, by immersion in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now listen, I wanna say this, guys, because this is important. The Greek word for baptism in the original language is baptizo, baptizo. That literally means, listen to the, the actual definition. It means to immerse, submerge, or dunk. It was the same Greek word they would use when a ship sunk to the bottom of the ocean. It's pretty clear what the mode and the method of New Testament baptism is, right? This is unquestionably the method in the New Testament among the very first followers of Jesus when it comes to baptism. And it's the method, by the way, that Jesus modeled for us himself. Think back to the story that we just read about his baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. It says he went down into the water and as he came up, 
the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and he heard the voice of the Father. Very, very clear. So, how? By immersion in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who? Everyone who has believed. When? A-S-A-P. Immediately. You don't have to get your theology ducks in a row. If you believe Jesus, if you've turned from your sin, you ought to be baptized as soon as possible. Now, here's a big one. Do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? What's the answer, church? No, no. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by our works, so that no man may boast. Ephesians chapter two is clear. I want you to just think about for a moment the thief on the cross. You remember that? Story of Jesus being crucified. He's got two thieves who are being crucified right beside him, right? They're both kind of mocking him at first, but one of them gets convicted by the Holy Spirit, submits his life to King Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' response when the man believes? Today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, man, this is, this is kind of problematic. We're gonna have to get creative. Because you believe, but we're both on a cross. So I'm gonna have to figure out a way to get you off here real quick, sneak down to the Jordan and get you wet. Or, hey, somebody bring me a cup so I can, so I can sprinkle this brother right, so he can get into heaven. Like that, that's not at all what he says. He says, today, you've believed, today you will be with me in paradise. So the answer to the question, do I have to be uh, baptized to be saved, is a resounding no. However, however, I would argue that our love and allegiance to Jesus should compel our obedience to his command to be baptized. It's that important. Here's the next question. This is a super common one that we get here because of our spiritual diversity at New Life. What if I was baptized or sprinkled as a baby? And that's probably some of the, some, the question that's rolling around in some, some of y'all's mind right now. Wouldn't believer's baptism be dishonoring to my family and my spiritual heritage? I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna read the answer to you. Answer, be grateful you had parents who cared enough to set you apart for God. Like, that's awesome. We wanna honor that. We wanna celebrate that as a meaningful spiritual moment in your life. But I would argue this. Believer's baptism can be and probably ought to be seen as a fulfillment of your parents' prayers. Because what were your parents praying for and hoping for when they baptized you or sprinkled you as an infant? Their prayer, their hope was that one day when you got old enough to logically comprehend the good news of the gospel in light of your own depravity and sin that you would make a response to follow after him and make him Lord and Savior of your life. It's a way to honor the fulfillment of their prayers. It can be a way to honor your parents while also, while also, and this is even more important than honoring your earthly parents, while also obeying Jesus. Next question we get oftentimes. What, what if I'm a Christian but have never been baptized? So like I've been, I've been a Christian for three years. I've been a Christian for five years. I've been a Christian for 20. Sometimes we hear from folks, man, I've been a Christian for 40 years, 50 years. I've never been baptized. Here's the answer. Stop being a punk and sign up for believer's <laughs> baptism today before I throat chop you in the lobby. And that is... That is actually my theological answer. Next <laughs> question. What if I was baptized as a child? This is another common one. What if I was baptized as a child before I truly understood the gospel? So like my, my sibling got baptized and I don't want to be left out or my best friend got baptized when I was seven and I thought it would be cool to get baptized with my best bestie or whatever. 
but I didn't really understand the gospel. And then later on, like when I was a teenager, high school, middle school, college, young adult, whatever, I finally actually came to faith in Jesus. Finally actually started following him later on after that initial baptism in my childhood. What should I do? Answer, you should be rebaptized now that your faith is your own. Because that's the pattern in scripture, right? You believe your faith becomes your own and your first step of obedience is to follow Jesus in believer's baptism by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you were baptized as you were five, six, seven, eight years old before you really followed Jesus, I would say the testimony of scripture is that you ought to be rebaptized now that you actually understand the gospel, you've made your faith your own. Last one, common questions we get. What if I'm not a Christian, but I want to become one? So if that's you and you're like, man, I'm hearing all this, all this about Jesus and his teachings and his life and I'm drawn to him and I'm drawn to his teachings and I'm not a follower of Jesus, but man, I think I wanna be, like I find this compelling, the idea of being forgiven and set free and placed into a brand new family, adopted into the family of God, brought out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. Like, I think I wanna follow Jesus. Well, first of all, I'll just say, welcome to the family because if that's your desire, that means the Holy Spirit is, is kind of doing his regenerative work in your heart right now as we speak. But here's what I would say. Turn from your sin, believe in Jesus, and get baptized as soon as possible, as soon as possible, because that's the pattern that we see in Scripture. In Luke 9, Jesus utters some of the most sobering words in the New Testament when he said, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, I will be ashamed of them when they stand before my Father. And I don't know about you, but those words are absolutely chilling to me. Church, friend, Dear brother, dear sister, let's not minimize something that Jesus has made a really big deal about. And I just want to let you know we have a baptism scheduled uh, for, for next Sunday. We have several baptisms that we're working on getting scheduled throughout uh, the month of December. So, we, man, we may have the water ready uh, for the next few weeks, right? So there, there's no excuse. You're going to have an opportunity. And so listen, if you, if you need to follow Jesus in believer's baptism, we're going to make it really easy on you, all right? So I'm going to put a website on the screen right now. It's called newlifeofashville.com slash baptism. If you go to that site, it's a landing page off of our main site, and there's a little short form that you click on. It's just going to give us your information, your name, your email, etc. And somebody from our team will be in touch either this week or next week to set up a time to have a very informal conversation. We can grab coffee. You can come into the office and chat. You can uh, set up a phone call with us. And we're just gonna explore what baptism would mean for you at New Life. But listen, don't leave this place in this space if you haven't made a decision and you need to when it comes to this super important step in your spiritual life. Newlifeofashville.com slash baptism, all right? I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. We're not gonna do anything weird or crazy. I'm not gonna like fill a tank when your eyes are closed and be like, bam, come on up here. We're not gonna do anything crazy. I just wanna carve out some, some time for you to pray, okay? I wanna carve out a couple of minutes for you to hear from the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and he speaks to his people today just like he did in the New Testament. And so I, want, I just want you to invite him to speak to you now and say, God, what is it that you want me to do, if anything, in relation to what we've seen in your word 
about the super important step in our spiritual journey in following you. I just want to carve out some time, and maybe, maybe you're here and you're a believer, but you've never been baptized. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but that was my story. So I gave my life to Jesus when I was 20 years old, authentically, I think, for the, for the first time, and I didn't get baptized until I was 23. So I had a three-year gap there, and the only reason, I, honestly, I got baptized is because I had an older brother talk to me and say, hey, man, why haven't you been baptized? And I just thought, well, I just, you know, like, I know I'm saved. I know I have a relationship with Jesus. Like, I don't, I guess I just haven't thought of it as that important. And he's like, well, you ought to get baptized. And so, and so I did, and I'm grateful that I did. But honestly, during that three-year window of time, I was living in disobedience to the commands of Jesus. And I'm guessing in a room this size, many of you, probably not just a few of you, many of you are probably in that boat, the same boat that I was in. Like, you've accepted Jesus, he's your savior, you love him, you've been following him for a year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but you have not followed through with the very first command of obedience to be baptized. I just wanna challenge you, pray and say, God, would you reveal in my heart if I'm supposed to take this step? Maybe you were baptized as a baby or a child before your faith was your own, and now it's time, man, it's time for you to publicly proclaim your faith in Jesus now that you actually understand what the gospel means on a personal level. It's no longer your parents' faith. It's no longer your grandparents' faith. It's your faith. Like, you love Jesus. And you're not perfect, but man, you're doing your best to follow hard after him. Man, take that step. Be baptized. Proclaim your faith that you now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and you're not even a follower of Jesus. Like you, you had a friend invite you or you just like stumbled onto the live stream. You're like, man, I came on the wrong week. And man, if that's you and you're like, man, I'm not a Christian, but I think I'm being attracted to this whole Jesus thing. Your first step in that journey, I would argue, is to be baptized. Like there's no more biblical way to start your journey with Jesus than baptism after you've believed in him. And for those of you in the room who, man, you love Jesus, you're following him, you have obeyed his command to practice believers baptism by immersion in the name of the father son and holy spirit i want to just invite you for the next couple minutes to think back marvel at your baptism marvel delight in how jesus brought you from death to life from the kingdom of darkness into the glorious kingdom of his light whoever you are wherever you are on the spiritual spectrum i just want to invite you for the next couple minutes pray Ask God to speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to confirm what your next step should be. And when you get that, have the courage to say yes. So you, you just pray kind of right in the silence of where you are for a couple of minutes and I'll, I'll close this in just a minute. You pray.
Father, we, we, could never, we could never thank you enough for sending Jesus into this messy world, into our messy, chaotic lives to live a perfect and sinless life on our behalf, to die a sinner's death, to atone for our own sin and our own rebellion against a perfect and holy God, and rising again on the third day to invite us into his resurrected life, to enjoy freedom and forgiveness in his name. God, we could never thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus. I pray, Father, for the person here who maybe hasn't crossed that threshold of faith, who's just kind of exploring, but, but maybe they're beginning to feel your spirit woo them, to draw them into this whole following Jesus thing. I pray that you would give that person courage to say yes to you, to lay down their sin, to repent, as Peter says in Acts chapter 2 to turn from their sin, to flee to you, to find mercy, grace, hope, forgiveness in the name of your son and have their lives absolutely transformed as they begin to follow you. And God, I pray for others of us who maybe we know you, we've been following you for a little while or a long while, but man, we just, for whatever reason, we haven't been obedient to you in this area pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us, that you would unsettle our hearts and unsettle our thoughts until we say yes to your spirit and yes to your word. Jesus, you are king, and I'm going to be obedient to your commands, the easy ones and the hard ones that stretch me outside of my comfort zone and make me uncomfortable. And oftentimes it's those commands that actually grow us more into your likeness. God, would you give us, wherever we're at, the courage to say yes to your word and yes to your spirit today. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship him.